นโมตัสสะบุคควะทัวอะระหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมตัสสะบุคควะทัวอะระหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมตัสสะบุคควะทัวอะระหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะพุทธังดามังสังขังนามัสสะ
how we hold the assumptions that we have. And these assumptions that we have about that young boy and his behaviour, about each other, uh, about ourselves. And if we, if we approach this and, and try not to assume anything, because you know, we could do that, we could say, oh, having assumptions about life, about each other, about ourselves, is, is not good. And so we say, well, I shouldn't have any assumptions. Well, we can't do that, can we? We can't stop having assumptions. We can try, but that's just part of the way our minds function. We have these assumptions based on memory. It's it's good, actually, to assume things. I assume that this microphone is going to work, so I don't worry about you know, well, I, I usually check to see that the batteries are alive and that you can hear me down the back there and so on. But I, I assume this chair is going to hold me and so I don't worry when I sit on it. So having assumptions is not the problem. But it seems to be if we hold our assumptions too tightly, there's a problem. Because then when, when things are proved to not be how we assumed they would be, then what happens? Yeah. If we're really rigid, then we suffer. But if we're not rigid, well, then the assumption was, oh well, that's you know, that's, that assumption's gone. We drop it and we move on. That's the thing, isn't it? As to how to how to drop it and move on, not to try and not have assumptions, but to be aware of the assumptions we have. The assumptions about me and mine. I assume certain things about me and my world and, and my monastery. Yeah. I looked at YouTube last night. I don't know how I got on there. I was doing my email and I, I saw something that caught my attention and I clicked on a talk. I think it was a talk by Ajahn Jayasaro was on YouTube. Ajahn Jayasaro was, was one of the senior monks in Thailand. and I tend to have an opinion about YouTube. I'm not, you know, I'm not very keen on it for, as a way of spreading Dhamma. So um, I just wanted to see what this was. And then there was another one there. You know how it is. I don't know if you go onto YouTube, but you look at this one, then you see down the side there's some more. And so there was another one down the side there that, that said, uh, visiting a forest monk. I thought, oh, maybe it's about us. And so I clicked on it, and sure enough, it was about Chithurst. And then there's this, this uh, RE class, religious education class, uh, went to visit Chithurst. Now, what a circus. <laughs> There wasn't a lot of thought went into this program. But anyway, my equanimity was moved just a little bit. Now, why was my equanimity moved? You know, well, Chithurst, that's, how, that's one of our monasteries, isn't it? Uh, by the way, you don't bother looking for it because it's been removed. Um, I, 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 I mentioned, I sent a message down to Ajahn Suchitu who hadn't seen it in his monastery. But anyway, he has now and uh, he got it's removed. So you won't find it. But it was very entertaining. And not, I would say, not very representative of what, what our monasteries are about. But the interesting thing was just to see that reaction. Yeah. It's not here. And, it, you know, it's way down the south of England. But what is it? There's a feeling of, there's a feeling of ours. Yeah. If it was a Tibetan monastery, I wouldn't have minded. You know, a Zen monastery, well, that's their problem. Let them sort it out. Or a Christian monastery, well then that's even further away, isn't it? But it was a Buddhist monastery, it was a Theravadan Buddhist monastery, it was the Theravadan Buddhist monastery of our tradition. 
And so there's some little agitation there. It wasn't a big deal, but there's a little agitation there. And where's that coming from? It's it's about the way we hold views, the way we hold perceptions. And we can't stop having, I mean, I can't stop having the perception of, of our family, our monasteries. But there is something we can do about how we feel about ours. So it's interesting to see whether how these things all go together. So there's me and mine and ours and all these go together. If you've got me, mine and ours and then there's you, yours and them and you've got this, this whole drama that goes on. This is, you know, if there's me, well, you know, if, I, if I'm really invested in me, if we hold into the perception of me very tightly, yeah, then you matter in a big way. And if we, you can do this in meditation as, we, as, we, as the years go by and you practice and you start to let go more and more of the, 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 the seriousness, the solidity of me. And also the whole intensity of you. Now, it's not to say that one doesn't care, but there's a, there's a way of relating to me and you. If there's me in a serious way, well, then I'm very easily intimidated by you. If there's me is not so serious, well, then it's less likely that I'm going to get intimidated by you. It flows. Or mine. My attachments, my possessions, my things. If I really take me very seriously, then I tend to take mine very seriously. And all this comes down to the assumptions we have about the validity of this, this perception. Now, there's this, actually, this whole thing is not, it's not a fixed thing, is it? I mean, you know, we've all been meditating for a while. You look at it, the whole thing's changed. There isn't anything fixed there, and yet we hold to this perception of the apparent validity of a solid me. But look at the consequences of it. It's serious. Me and mine and ours and you and yours and them, and you get this whole drama. Now, we can't just suddenly do away with the drama, and so you know we can, we, we can look at it. You can see this drama. Is it a comedy or is it a tragedy? But I think it's uh, it's good to, you know, not to just judge the drama or try and get rid of it, but to get interested in it. And also to, I think, really probably better to treat it like a comedy. You know, when it comes up, this me and mine and, and ours and... Because it's not difficult to fall into... Of being critical, isn't it? If you see, you see our attachments, yeah. me and mine, I shouldn't have this. Yeah. My reputation or our reputation as the monasteries of the Theravadan forest tradition. Perhaps I shouldn't just should just not care about it. Now you can do that. Actually, that's an option. You can close off. It's not you know a certain way of applying attention to actually become insensitive to how you feel. That's not the same thing as letting go of the realm of feelings. It is possible to become insensitive 
to desensitize. One can use meditation, actually, to desensitize oneself against these things and say, well, I shouldn't feel, I shouldn't care about these things. Well, what might be more useful is when me and mine and ours and you and yours and them comes into our awareness, to ask, you know, what's really going on behind this? Where's the problem? Where's the problem? The Buddha talked about me and you and ours and them and theirs, and he talked about all he used all these words, but the Buddha wasn't suffering. Ajahn Chah used all these words, you know, but he wasn't suffering. Where's the difference? Yeah. Where's the suffering? Where's the suffering? That's the question. Where's the cause of suffering? That's the question. Well, surely it's in this, the way that we perceive, the way we hold this perception. And so that's what, like tonight, we're starting a meditation retreat. 24 or so of you uh, are here for a whole week. Uh, some of you are here just for the Sunday night, but uh, the rest of us are all here together for the next week. And this is a, a special opportunity we have to really intensify our attention and to follow that interest. Not to increase the drama, certainly not to make the drama into a tragedy, because it's it's so easy to do that. You you can focus on me and my history, my history, my problems, my challenges. Well, if we, instead of focusing on that aspect of the drama, you know, step back a level, go back a level, go back a frame and, and see, you see, is there an underlying level of attachment? Well, there is, for sure. But how to see it? Well, that's what we can do. We're going to be silent for the next week, regimented, so we all sit and walk and eat and do things at the same time, so it can be really easy. So it's, it's going to be conducive for really focusing attention down and getting subtle in our investigations. In formal practice and also in in just everyday life, you know, the, um, the, the, just what happens when we're eating. Yeah. We can try too hard in these things. You say, well, that's a very good argument Ajahn is putting out there. It's very interesting. Yeah, I want to look in there. I want to see this attachment to the perception of me and mine and and self. And and so you can get really really serious about it and. And everything you do is, is, you know, you can do this. This you thinking mindfulness is being slow and intense all the time. And you see sometimes people on retreat when they're eating, you know, they take they take you know about I don't know an hour to eat their meal, you know, one spoonful at a time, and because uh, they don't want to miss anything, they don't want to miss anything. Yeah, maybe there's something there. You know, you're very very careful. That sometimes we try too hard, we're going to miss it as well. So there is a place for just, just relax. Not because we don't care. Yeah, a thing I've quoted many times. Ajahn Chah used to say in in practice is you've got to treat the kilesas like the communists. This was back in the 70s, the early 70s, when the communists were invading northeast Thailand from from Cambodia. And, and he says, those communists, they're very clever. He says, but if you let them know you're looking for them, they're difficult to find. So he says, sometimes you've got to pretend you're not looking for them. You're just going to get around as if you don't really, you're not interested. But you are interested. Yeah. And it's the same with these conditioned tendencies, these, these tendencies of attachment that we have. 
We might want to be free from them, but just wanting and trying hard and getting intense and getting serious is not always all that's needed. Sometimes you need to also just ease back a bit. and Taking a shower. You can be mindful taking a shower, but it doesn't mean to say you have to take half an hour. You remember there's 24 people on retreat and the showers are limited and the sewage system can only take so much water, by the way. Uh, so... But you can you can relax and reflect. I I really enjoy it. one of my best meditations. I, I love having showers. Sometimes I have two a day. Just you know, <laughs> help my meditation. I had a very good meditation. A shower today, reflecting on. I was reflecting on why I like this particular bar of soap. Yes, I have a very nice bar of soap, and I was reflecting on why does liking arise when I use this bar of soap. And then I realized it was the fragrance. You know, some soap really stinks. It's just, I don't know how they sell it. It's so, so offensive. But this one is very attractive. And I said, well, why does attractive smelling soap make it agreeable? I said, I see, see, you can contemplate while you're having a shower. And I realized, well, actually, this makes me, because this, this smell is good, that makes me feel good. You see? My worth increases because of the smell of the soap. Well, that's not very intelligent, is it? Well, that's good. Now, that doesn't mean to say that I'm going to then go and find the worst-smelling soap in the store and use that just to give myself a hard time. You could do that. You can imagine, you know, and I contemplate, so I wonder if we could, maybe they could create a soap called slurry. <laughs> Wouldn't sell, would it? Because if you use slurry, slurry stinks. And so if you're using something that stinks, I stink, Right? There's perception, there it is, isn't it? There's a transference. Mine, my soap, my shower, my body, I stink, my worth goes down, my mood goes down, right? That's how it works. For the Italians that are here, you don't know what slurry is. It's, it's the muck that, that they collect off the farms, uh, the, in the sewerage, yeah, and uh, some of you know what it is, and they put it in these big, what they call muck spreaders, and then they go around. The best place is in Switzerland. Their muck, really, I don't know how they do it. I think it must be pig muck. It's just something very special about Swiss muck. But here it's pretty good as well. And usually muck is used as a fertilizer for putting in the field. Sometimes it's used as a weapon. I remember in New Zealand when the, the French government, would, would they, they, they wouldn't stop testing their bombs at the Muriroa Atoll. And so some protesters took a truckload of muck and put it outside the French embassy on their front doorstep. And well, also it happened in Pontyland um, in 1991. It had been going on for 10 years. This local farmer, he had a disagreement with the NatWest Bank uh, over um, over something that happened with their bank account. And three times, I think he did it. The first time he went into the main branch in Newcastle and he sprayed the whole front of their building. It took him two minutes, and then it took NatWest two weeks to clean it off. And then he went into Pontyland, our little village down here, went into the, the, branch, the main branch in Pontyland, and he actually dumped, I don't know, it was like something like three tons on their front doorstep of slurry. The police were called, of course, as you'd expect, but I don't know how he managed it, driving 10 kilometres an hour. He managed to get back to his farm, fill up and come back and do another lot before the police actually shot his tyre out and, uh, and uh, he was arrested. But uh, NatWest gave in in the end, I think they gave him 300,000 pounds or something, and he stopped dumping slurry. Anyway, that's a little deviation. Um, 
when you, you see you can contemplate these things in the shower. The point I'm trying to make is that that this investigation is not just something that you have to do when you're, you're sitting in formal practice. I think the thing is, for me, the thing is to get really interested in the suffering. We don't, you know, the word is not something that you, you don't kind of put on your CV, my, my suffering level is up here. You know, it's not something that we feel good about. We don't want to promote ourselves as somebody who's suffering. But that's the only problem in life, isn't it? I mean, if you don't suffer, there isn't any problem, is there? And so that's the thing. Instead of distracting ourselves, which we're so, so good at doing, instead of distracting ourselves, and I assume basically that's why all of you have come here on retreat, is because we are interested in this, you see. And this is, you know, this is the whole thing about the Buddha's teaching. You stay, the Buddha said, you stay stuck in this miserable affair for two reasons only. Because you don't see suffering, you don't see the cause of suffering. And so, you know, so we, we're not getting all depressed and miserable about it, but rather pleased about it. Actually, this is very interesting. Yeah. Why do I make a problem out of not getting my own way? You know, like you're having a discussion with somebody. And I know, I, I used to have this thing where as a junior monk, that even when I asked somebody to teach me to do something, as soon as they started teaching me to do it, I'd get all hot and bothered. I can remember particularly once when I was asking somebody to show me how to use the planing machine. Now, a planing machine is really frightening, right? They're really powerful machines. And you don't want to use a planing machine unless you really know what you're doing. And I saw somebody lose the top of their finger once, and it's, it's not beautiful. And, and so I wanted to use a planing machine. And so I asked this guy, this monk, very nice monk and very capable. I asked him, would you show me how to use a planing machine? And so he started showing me how to do it. And as soon as he started telling me how to do it, I started getting all hot and bothered. So, now, I don't know if I'm the only one who has these kind of experiences, but something like that, I think, happens to all of us in very different situations. Like when you get into an argument with somebody, husband and wives, you got married because you like each other. So why are you making the whole thing so nasty? So what is it? Where's, where's the suffering? There's no way that we can live this life and always get what we want. Not possible. There's no way that all human beings are going to get what they want all the time. And so surely the wise thing to do is to, when we don't get what we want, just to not make a problem out of it. Isn't it? Nobody would disagree with that. So why does it become a problem? That's a very interesting question. Hmm? Loss, yeah. when we lose something that we value, yeah. you can start to get into I know, I have this thing when I, when I can't find my glasses. Um, I find it really frustrating. I, I know I haven't lost my glasses. Trying to find your glasses without your glasses on is a sort of a very good metaphor for meditation. You don't know what you're looking for. You don't know how to look. You're half blind, but you've got to find what you're looking for. <clears throat> so there I am on my cootie. I don't want to ring up my attendant because I feel like a total nanny. So I can't find my glasses again. <laughs> Sorry, I'm fussing around. And I can notice sometimes this kind of irritation coming up. What's the problem? I mean, they're here somewhere. So what are we getting irritated for? Why do we get irritated over something like that? I always find them. 
I always find my glasses. Where, where is the cause of the suffering? The suffering is not in the glasses. The suffering is not in my being interested in finding my glasses. The suffering is not in meditating. The suffering is not in wanting to be free from ignorance. So why do we get stressed over our meditation? Very interesting question. I think that's a question really worth listening to. I'm not trying to find a clever answer in our heads because we run around in our heads and come up with answers, well, it's this, this and this, but just finding ways of, of feeling the question. So, yeah, it matters to me. Actually, I'm really interested in why I suffer. Not to apologize for that. You know, sometimes you, you know, we feel ashamed because we're interested in ourselves. We know we need some attention. We know we've got a few things to sort out. But when we start paying attention to ourselves, we're sort of apologetic for it. Not a very good move. Yeah. We get really interested in it. Where's the cause of suffering? Because... If we're interested, that's where, that's where our attention will go. If we're just interested in our heads in finding an intellectual answer, well, that's where our attention will go and we get a headache. But so we come down to the whole body-mind, this whole experience, this whole perceived being, which is not the way it looks at all, but we've got to take responsibility for the whole thing. So we come into this whole body-mind and feel this whole body suffers. This whole body-mind suffers right now because it can't find his glasses. What's going on there? Yeah. Or in relationships. Yeah. And I think, not to get too serious about it, because that clouds things over, sometimes we can play with it. Sometimes I like watching when, when, the, uh, when uh, the, uh, the rugby is on. There have been occasions when I've been known to accept an invitation to go and watch the All Blacks. But the interesting thing is when once the All Blacks are out of the game, well, I'm not, my interest is gone. Now, why is that? Yeah. I mean, it's all still good rugby. In fact, it probably gets better as it goes on, doesn't it? So why? Because the All Blacks have stopped playing. Well, they like, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Glasgow, and I was having a really nice day, and, and uh, the All Blacks were busy beating South Africa, and then South Africa beat New Zealand, and there's a little, just a little ripple just a very momentary ripple in my consciousness when the South Africans beat the All Blacks. And where did that come from? Yeah. Somebody was telling me recently how they've redefined their uh, attitude towards what is success. And he was saying how um, 1994... That famous Italian football player, and what was it Roberto Baggio? Is that is that how the Italians? Yeah, yeah. Roberto Baggio, 1994. I think he missed a penalty kick. Uh, yeah, you're all looking sad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> against Brazil, right? Yeah, and there were consequences, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, my friend, he he was English, actually Scottish. And, but he was really, he was really with Roberto Baggio because Roberto Baggio is a Buddhist. You see, and so he says, here's this kick coming up and he's lined up for this penalty kick. And he says, of course he's a Buddhist, he's going to win. You know, Buddhists are best, you know. So you're going to get a t-shirt made, Buddhists are best, and uh, you know, my religion. My religion is, yeah. 
When Roberto Baggio missed the penalty, I mean, of course, all Italy wanted to commit suicide, but even this guy in Scotland, you know, why? Because me and mine. But he was saying how actually he, he, he's reflect on that because he got so upset. I mean, he got really, really upset on that occasion. And since then, he's reflected on it a number of times. And he realized recently that uh, his practice, he's been practicing all these years, and he realized recently that his whole attitude towards success has shifted, actually has shifted. And really now, he, just, he, he, he said he really doesn't mind when he watches a game. He's, he watches it as a game. Like he's also the whole winning and losing inwardly. You know, you don't have to be a hero. You don't have to be a heroic Buddhist. You could be an interested Buddhist. Success or winning in terms of Buddhist practice is not getting what we want necessarily, but it's being able to not get what we want and still be okay. To see Roberto Baggio miss his penalty shot and it's just so. So this is something that I, it's possible to do again, not just on formal retreat. For the next week, well, 24 of us here have uh, this opportunity to get really focused and, and intensify uh, uh, the way we examine and investigate uh, inwardly. But not just when we're sitting on our cushion or walking up and down, but also in our everyday life, you know, taking a shower or eating and Oh, there's no talking for the retreatants, but those of you going back out to your everyday talking life. If we can carry this contemplation with us, getting interested in where's the real cause, where, when and how am I hanging on to something or am I relating? Even hanging on to something might be a bit too quick, you know, because you can just take the Buddha's teachings about attachment. And say, the Buddha said attachment leads to suffering, so I've got to stop feeling, I've stopped being attached to me and mine. And, and this can just be a head thing. Yeah? And it's not going to make any difference, not really. But if we are in touch with the experience of limitation, when I'm feeling, suddenly I'm feeling limited, instead of being an absolutely alive, alert, contented human being, being with life as it's happening, according with it, flowing with it, doing what needs to be done. Instead of being that person, there's this feeling of contraction and limitation takes place. To be there for that, no judgment. Oh, I've just made a mistake, or I failed, or somebody's failed me, no, that's too quick. If we do that, well then again, we might miss it. Rather, there's something going on there, there's something happening, something we're doing that's, that's creating this feeling of limitation. The feeling of limitation is not permanent. The feeling of me and mine and ours and you and yours and theirs is not permanent. It's not the way it appears to be. So how are we going to undermine that? Well, I think the essence is in this getting interested. Again, not just interested in trying to overcome, yeah. but interested in the reality. Yeah. 
What is going on? What is actually taking place? And being willing, being okay to not know for quite a while. Again, you can follow follow this argument and this encouragement and you maybe even agree with it. And think, oh, that's a very good idea. But then when we are in the midst of it, we're in the midst of, of feeling limited, and we can register it in the body and we maybe know it emotionally and in the mind. But instead of giving it the time, to teach us. Like last week I was talking about, you know, if you want to understand sheep, you build a fence around them and then you just lean on the fence, you know, a bit of grass in your mouth and just chew on a bit of grass and just... You've got to wait, you know, you've got to wait. And if we're in a hurry, say, I want to understand the sheep, I want to understand the sheep. Yeah. I want to understand my mind, I want to understand the cause of suffering. Well, of course we want to understand the cause of suffering. Yeah. We want to understand where and when and how it is that we're attaching to these perceptions and these assumptions about the validity of this apparent meanness and minus and so on. Yeah. But it's the way yeah, that we go about it that makes a difference. So, for those of us who are on retreat, I hope this uh, encourages everybody to to deepen the interest to stay with the interest. And also for those who are not on retreat, going back out to your everyday life, that it's a, a little reminder uh, to not miss the opportunity. When we start feeling limited, that's the message. Yeah, there's something to learn. So, thank you very much this evening for your attention. <coughs> Sadhu